So they said, uh, we'll, we'll have Passover together, but uh, there's going to be a potluck. And of course, I exclaimed, I will make the matzo ball soup because, look, I'm a chef for like 25, 26 years at that point. Um, and I'm a Jew for even longer. So I'm an expert, right? Expert. From the Jewish Food Society, I'm Amanda Dell, and this is Schmaltzy. Personal stories about food and the people behind them. Today on Schmaltzy, we've got a bonus Passover episode featuring the award-winning chef, Lawrence Jossel. Lawrence owns and operates one of San Francisco's best and most critically acclaimed restaurants, Nopa. We were thrilled to have him at our very first Schmaltzy in San Francisco. And it was such a special night. We had about 100 people at this super cool space downtown called 419. It was thrilling to be in front of a live audience again. And we had a blast sharing delicious food and incredible stories. All right. First up, you're going to hear Chef Lawrence share his hilarious Passover story from that night. Then we'll chat about his love of farmer's markets, Jewish humor, and more. Here's Lawrence live from the Schmaltzy stage. So I was born a long time ago in a place called Johannesburg, South Africa, <clears throat> to a, a fairly religious um, family. We were kosher, in fact. And, you know, that old thing where the grandmothers and the mothers and the aunts, they stand at the kitchen. You're there as a young person holding onto their apron strings, learning how to cook the food of your people. That didn't happen at all. They were pretty bad cooks, in fact. And my only recollection of matzo ball soup at that point was the occasional Shabbat and also Passover. But I don't think I had the sublime versions that people speak of because it's, it's not in me. We emigrated to the U.S. in 1978, and we arrived in a place called Houston, Texas. Also not the capital of matzo ball cooking in the United States. <clears throat> Actually, there's a story of a Texan, may or may not have been a former U.S. president, who arrives in New York City and he does his usual, you know, what people do when they arrive. They go to the Statue of Liberty, they check out the Empire State. And then while walking around the Upper West Side, he gets a little nauseous and slips into a Jewish deli <clears throat> and doesn't recognize anything on the menu. And the server comes up to him and says, sir, what can I get you? And he says, what are them people eating over there? And he says, well, sir, that's our matzo ball soup. I'll have one of them. And he loves the soup. He enjoys the fluffy, rich texture. And he finishes up and he, he exclaims, this is fantastic. Tell me, do you guys cook any other parts of the matzo or just the balls? <laughs> so, left Texas. It's probably a true story. Left, left Texas and arrived in Los Angeles where I attended high school. Sort of. I spent a lot of high school in local restaurants when I should have been in high school. If you're in L.A., Cantor's, not so bad, matzo ball soup, just saying, all right? But I re-entered academia seriously when I moved to San Francisco in 91 to go to culinary school. And in culinary school, I remember butchering classes and baking classes and wine theory and service and uh, front of the house service, et cetera. But never once did I make matzo balls in school. It wasn't talked about. 
I graduated from school and entered San Francisco's dining scene in earnest, right? So I worked in some fantastic um, high-end French and Italian, Greek, in California cuisine, those styles of restaurants. And I was tasked with spooning big um, globs of uh, great caviar on top of buckwheat blinis. I steamed lobsters. I cracked crab and seared foie gras. But never did I have to make a matzo ball. In 2006, I opened my restaurant, Nopa, <clears throat> and to this day, our number one sellers, a big, thick, fat, brined pork chop, <laughs> right? And the wood-fired bacon cheeseburger. So it's, it is what it is. Um, so we opened this place. So uh, at about uh, maybe 2012, I'm, I'm just guesstimating, some dear friends, the Mizells, some nice Jewish people from Long Island, said, come have Passover at our new place in Mill Valley, you know, just right across the bridge in Marin. So they said, uh, we'll, we'll have Passover together, but uh, there's going to be a potluck. And of course I exclaimed, I will make the matzo ball soup because, look, I'm a chef for like 25, 26 years at that point, and I'm a Jew for even longer, so I'm an expert, <laughs> right? Expert. So I race into the restaurant the day of, and I grab some really good thick homemade chicken stock, and I put it on the stove, and I bring the chicken stock to a boil and I make something called a raft. You know, this is very fancy where you take egg whites and chicken, you grind them together and you strain the soup through this raft. So you make a beautiful consomme, clear and delicious. I brunoise the vegetables just so, and some Japanese roll cuts and just super fancy. And then a chiffonade, that parsley in there. And I pick the chicken, you know, just no skin, no tendons, just in there. And then I run next door to Byright and I grab some very expensive matzo meal. And I mix a little schmaltz in there and like some eggs and parsley. I take a little bit of the soup, put it in there, and I make the mix. And I know, because I'm a professional, that that should rest because we've activated the gluten and we don't want that to happen. Everybody's nodding, right? Good, good. And so then I let that rest and then I bring them out. And then I think to myself, this should be like an elevated matzah experience, right? <laughs> yes, 100%. So I take my hands, I wet them, and I, I make these matzo balls perfect and I look no seams you know no seams perfectly round little orbs and I make them all and I drop them into the stock pot of the boiling beautiful broth and they sink to the bottom <laughs> and stay there and I think oh well you know this must be like gnocchi right so you make the gnocchi you make little dumplings and you put them in and when they're cooked they float to the top which is not what happened to the matzo balls they just sat there and I think, well, maybe it's like a hydration thing, hydration, and they'll get fluffy eventually. And well, it's time to go. We got to get to the Mizells. So we cross the bridge and we arrive. Beautiful cul-de-sac. It's a nice new house. I like it. Kids are playing in the backyard. We call them in and, you know, nice spread. Everything's going well. And I'm still thinking about the matzo balls, hoping that by now that they're getting a little lighter. I'm a little nervous, you know, lots of people. And here I am. This is what I do for a living, right? So we get everybody to sit. We do a very short amended version of the Haggadah because the kids are getting restless and I serve the soup. And everybody gets a couple of the balls in the plate and I look over at the kids' table and obviously the spoons are too dull because they're having kind of a hard time <laughs> cutting into the balls. And I look over at the adult table and the same thing is happening. So I, I have to admit, I eat a little crow and I say, you know, I think maybe I overwork the matzo balls a little bit so they're going to be a little tough. And just as a little reference, I take one and I drop it on the table and it bounces. <laughs> so then I look over at the kids' table and I think we've invented a new Passover game where you bounce the matzo ball to your friend. So I'm mortified, right? I didn't know this then, 
But it happened that one of the guests at the Seder was my future wife, Holly, who's here today. And so it's a couple years later, and we start to date, and it's time for us to get the family together. So she says to Della and Sito, her two lovely kids, Lawrence, the chef of Nopa, is coming over for dinner tonight. And they say, who? You know, Riley's dad. Riley from Pacific Primary, you know, his dad. Oh, the matzo ball soup guy, they say? <laughs> Great. The day after the matzo ball soup fiasco, I called my friend Joyce. Joyce is uh, a very well-known food writer in San Francisco, kind of a genius of all things. She's written 30 books. She knows everything about food, and I love her very much. Um, so I call Joyce and I say, Joyce, I made maybe the worst matzo ball soup ever. The soup was good. The matzo ball's not so good, they bounced. And I like, like you know, I know you've got some tricks, you know, and I've been reading about it. So do you add seltzer water to your matzo meal? Is that one of the things? And if so, what brand is it? Or do you whip the whites of the eggs and then you fold them in? I'm seeing a lot of nodding heads. You fold that into the, right? That's a good one. Or do you add baking soda or is it baking powder? I don't remember. She goes, Lawrence, stop. Just go get a box of Manischewitz, <laughs> right? Look on the back, the recipe's right there. It works every time. So tonight is my night of retribution. Um, I hope you like my balls. Lawrence more than made up for his matzo ball snafu that night. He made us some unbelievably delicious matzo balls that, for the record, didn't bounce. Here he is in the kitchen telling us about his new and improved recipe. So we're standing behind the stove and there are three big stainless steel pots. Two of them are filled with vegetables and chicken. I found some beautiful rutabaga at the market today in Marin this morning. And carrots and onions and the usual, you know, what you put in matzo ball soup, Meyer lemon zest and poached chicken, etc. And then in front are the dreaded matzo balls. But they're floating, so this is a good sign. Next up is my chat with the wildly talented and endlessly fascinating Lawrence Jossel. Lawrence, so nice to see you again. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely, Amanda. Nice to be here. And thanks for sharing your story. It was a thrill. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. After that night with the matzo ball disaster, did you just keep going with the box version? I was actually not allowed to touch the matzo ball part of the soup for many years. Holly, my, my beautiful wife, was always in charge of the matzo balls. It was just an unspoken thing at the house. Is that still to this day? Probably so, yeah. Although I may have redeemed myself because that night we actually served how many people? It was over 100 people, I think. But they seemed to go well. They were actually pretty good, I have to say. I think you beyond redeemed yourself. And it was pretty much an iconic moment to have you in the kitchen, literally dishing out your matzo ball <laughs> soup. It was pretty epic. That was very cute. Yeah. <laughs> and we made uh, some good pals. Definitely. So between you and Holly, are you planning on making Passover this year at all? Are you going to go somewhere? put matzo ball soup on the menu at Nopa. I haven't yet, but that's not a bad idea. But we did put latkes on the menu. So latkes are on the menu at the moment. <gasps> oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Actually, they're one of our top sellers. We rotate the menu every day. And this is one that's hung on for quite a few months now. 
since Hanukkah. We put a little pickled beet hummus, we put some horseradish creme fraiche, some house-smoked trout, and a little, right now it's citrus season, so we do a little caracara orange, and they're moving a lot. So it's good. Well, it sounds delicious. Do you have memories of Passover from your childhood with your family? I do. I think they were pretty sort of regulated, meaning that uh, there were rules attached. And so you were at the kids' table, you had to search for the afikoman, you had to listen to the story. I remember taking it very seriously. You know, I don't remember the food, per se, because I don't think I'm from a family of great cooks. Luckily, this won't be heard by anybody else, just you and me. <laughs> it's pretty interesting that you obviously found such a love and passion for food. I, I did. Does any of this strictness carry over in your Passovers now? No, absolutely opposite. Yeah, We're not very religious. I'm married to a woman who is not of the Jewish persuasion. Luckily, we have some friends who bring us back. Well, that's one of the things I love about Passover. I also didn't grow up really celebrating in a strict way. But I think one thing that resonates for me is really the retelling of the story of overcoming adversity. Yeah, I like the stories. I like the humor. I like being of a people. And that's the best part of it. You know, not so much the hardcore religion, but the tradition. So you feel connected culturally. Exactly. Exactly. But I do wait for an invitation for Passover from my friends, as opposed to having a celebration at our house so far, as opposed to Thanksgiving, which, you know, everybody's coming over to our spot. So what would you bring to your friends when they invite you? You know, my mother used to make something great called simis, which is a brisket with the prunes and the carrots and stuff like that. And so that was always a favorite to bring. And I've actually cooked a lot of that. I enjoy that dish a lot. Have you put a California spin on that a little bit? Well, you know, I use good organic carrots that are sweeter than ever and local dried plums, because that's what we call them here. (laughs) Instead of prunes. Exactly. So as an East Coaster for life, I'm very curious. What's the Jewish community like in San Francisco? Well, San Francisco has a very small Jewish community. You know, it's not L.A., certainly not New York. But I think that we sort of gravitate to each other, don't we? And I think things like Passover and tradition bring us together as well. And humor. You know, the stupid dad jokes certainly are a core of that. San Francisco is a unique place. I think it's open-minded. I think it's forward-thinking most of the time. It's certainly got its challenges. You know, it's a hard place. But I'm very happy that we've raised children here. And I think it's a great place to grow up with an eye for everybody. And then, of course, the food side is my obvious connection to it. It really is a paradise of food. So it's a very easy place to cook in. Obviously, you're a big champion of the green markets, of the farms, of the produce. That's basically what you base Nopa on, really. Right. That's the whole concept. What specifically makes it so special? The produce, the farms, everything in California? Well, what I do every day is I get to play with these things. So I go typically on a Tuesday to two markets. I go on a Thursday to a market, and I go on Saturday to a market. In the summer, I actually extended. I had a Sunday market and a Wednesday market, so I'm in five days a week. And this is just because of relationships with different farms. And everybody does something special, and everybody does something specific. I've got my tomato people, I've got my apple person, I've got my peach people and my raisin people, et cetera, et cetera. So <clears throat> what's wonderful about San Francisco is they all come 
to the Bay Area from the extending area. So up to like four hours away driving, but a lot of them in different counties close by. And they bring this plethora of amazing produce. And you get to actually converse with the person who's actually put it into the ground or picked it off a tree or whatever the case may be. Seasons change. So the menu evolves to the season. And that's always exciting. So you never get stale. And it's an honor. It really is. It's such a pleasure. So when I came to San Francisco for our Schmaltzy events, I really wanted to meet you in person, chat about the event, your story. And you were like, yeah, Amanda, come to Nopa. So I arrived and you seated me right next to you at the chef's counter. You were on the pass and... The restaurant was absolutely packed. I used to work the door at some pretty popular restaurants in New York. So I know that that was a super soigné VIP seat. <laughs> and I have never felt so special. Oh, that's nice. To sit there and see it all happen. And I really felt part of something that night when I didn't know anyone. So that was definitely a highlight of my trip. And what I came to realize is that NOPA has kind of lovingly been referred to as San Francisco's living room. Right. That's a nice thing to hear. So what does that mean to you? Well, when we started, we had this idea that this was a gathering place. And so this isn't the place where we're going to wow you with table service and give you the most interesting thing you've ever had. It's not a compliment to me to say, what was that? It's, that's the best eggplant I've ever had. That's a compliment. So it's simple food. We don't have tweezers in the kitchen. We don't have an immersion circulator. We don't have waiters in tuxedos. It's a gathering place. It's meant to feel like San Francisco. is. It's a hub, you know? And I'm glad you got that. It's just a little bit of a love note to San Francisco, a love note to the farmers. I love my team. I love my crew. We have guests that have been incredibly cool with us, incredibly loyal to us, especially through this craziness that has just happened in the last couple of years. It's a neighborhood restaurant, and we really hold true to that neighborhood connection. We still grind the meat every morning. We hand cut the fries. We make the aioli. I go out and I shop for organic lettuces. We pickle the onions. We smoke our own bacon. Everything on that plate is lovingly put together. And I think the majority of people get it. And I think you got it that night, which is great. We have a lot of people that come in that say, you know, we had our first date here and we're getting married next week, or we met across the counter and these are our kids, you know? So that's the wonderful part about being open for a long time. So Nopa is now more of a family restaurant than ever. Oh, 100%. And have your kids expressed interest in what's going on there, being (laughs) part of it? So we have three kids and one of them is in the business. Already? He's 14 years old and he works in his mom's like taqueria window. And I think it's just for money, not for the love of the craft. (laughs) I don't think any of them are interested. I think that they want to do different things. You know, we talked a lot in the beginning about what it means to be like culturally Jewish, but not religious. Do you think that there's a way that you pass along any of your Jewish values or Jewish thinking or Jewish cultural identity to them? Although they would argue this point, I think I'm a funny person. And I think that's a cultural thing. I really do. I think we we cannot take ourselves so seriously, specifically as Jews. And I think we've historically been so downtrodden that we had to find something good about it. 
I think that the humor will pass on. I have funny kids. I really do. So I think I can bring them into the fold through the jokes. So you relate with them through humor. And that's a pillar of cultural Judaism for you. Absolutely. I love that. I think you're right. We've been through so much. We almost have no choice but to laugh and be funny. Well, yeah, because in the end, it is funny. It really is. (laughs) Just being Jewish in general is funny. It's just funny. It is. (laughs) So since this is a Passover episode, we came up with our own four questions. I made this a California slash Passover version. Got it. Here we go. Napa or Sonoma? I live in Sonoma right now. Sonoma. Pinot Noir or Cabernet? Pinot Noir. Favorite burrito in Asaf? El Farolito or La Taqueria? La Taqueria. Classic. Love it. Passover desserts. Macaroon or chocolate-covered matzah? Chocolate anything, anytime, anywhere. Okay. Well, I laughed a lot and I learned a lot. So I'm very appreciative that you gave us the time to do this and that you shared your story. I'm so happy to be part of this. I really am. It really means the world to us. So thank you. Thanks, Amanda. That was Lawrence Jostle. To learn more about Lawrence and his phenomenal restaurant, check out nopasf.com. And if you'd like to see some pics from our San Francisco event, go to our Instagram at Jewish Food Society. For more holiday inspo, head over to jewishfoodsociety.org for Passover recipes and family stories from around the world. And if you like what you hear, be a mensch and rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks! Schmalti is produced by the Jewish Food Society in partnership with Pod People and made with love in NYC. Our executive producer is Nama Shafi, and our theme music is by Yuval Semo. Special thanks to the team at Pod People. Rachel King, Matt Sav, Amy Machado, Madison Lusby, Robin Gelfenbein, and Carter Wogan. And a big thank you to Marcia Galliardi from Tablehopper, who helped us pull the whole live event together in San Francisco. I'm your host, Amanda Dell. Happy Passover! Passover!